Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. This week I was reading about a 911 call that happened in rural Alabama. It was the opening day of deer season and the 911 operator got this call and on the other line was this gentleman who was frantic and he was crying out. He was saying, Bubba is dead. Oh my goodness, Bubba is dead. And the 911 operator's like, what happened? And the guy just in, in, in this frantic state, it's like we were... We were walking to our deer stand, and on the way to the deer stand, Bubba just, cl- just grabbed hold of his heart, bent down, fell on the ground, and I know he's dead. He's dead. Well, the 911 operator said, sir, what we need you to do is calm down. First and foremost, you need to remain calm, and now that you're calm, we need to confirm that Bubba is dead. Silence on the phone. He heard nothing. Then all of a sudden, the 911 operator heard some scuffling going on. And then this, bam, a loud gunshot. Guy picks back on the phone and said, okay, we know he's dead now. Now, the story's not true, but the point of the story is valid. Clarity is important. Clarity is incredibly important when it comes to the most important mission that you and I have been given. Clarity is important when it comes to what God has called us to do and to be as a church. Clarity is important when it comes to the mission of our church. Clarity is important when it comes to what God is is directing us and where God is leading us and where we're going as a church and what we're called to do as a church. That's why we're in this series called Upward, Inward, and Outward, where we're focusing on the mission of Freedom Bible Church. Like, why do we exist? Why are we here? What has God called us to do, and who has God called us to be? See, our mission at Freedom is we exist to make disciples who love upward, inward, and outward. Now, what does that mean? It really comes from, the idea of making disciples comes from the great commission, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That is the great commission. So that is what we are called uh, to, to be about, making disciples. And the idea of loving upward, that's our love for God. Loving inward, that's our love for ourselves, the body of Christ. And loving outward, that's our love for our neighbors. 
comes from the great commandment, where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That is where we get our mission, what we're called to do. As, as the church, as Freedom Bible Church, we are called to make disciples, the great, com- great commission. We are called to love upward, inward, and outward, the great commandment. And putting those two together is why we exist. That's why we are here. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about discipleship. I want us to take the first part of our mission, make disciples, and let's talk about it. Let's discover what that means and what that looks like for us as a church. What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean, first and foremost, to be a disciple? And then, what are some characteristics of a disciple? And how do we go about making disciples? And so I want to start off just talking about what is a disciple? Because the truth of the matter is, discipleship is not a concept that that started with Christianity. In fact, if you go and look in the New Testament, you will not find the word discipleship in there. Now, you'll see disciple, but the word discipleship is not in there. It's not in the New Testament anywhere. It's actually an idea that started centuries before Christ in the Greek culture. See, Plato discipled a man named Aristotle. And then Aristotle created schools so that he too could disciple and make disciples and have discipleship of other people uh, in, 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 in the areas of Greek culture and language and Greek studies. And so that's where we get this idea of discipleship. It's the process. The discipleship, discipleship is the process of following someone to the point where you're, you're following a teacher or a leader where you learn from them and become more like them. In Jewish culture, what would happen? Young men would would go to a rabbi or they would go to a teacher and they would say, teacher, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. I want to be your disciple. So what these young men would do is they would go and sit at the feet of a rabbi and they would learn from them. And as they were learning from the rabbi, the rabbi would examine them. He He would test them. He would check them out. He would determine if they were worthy of the cause if they were worthy to follow him. And if they were, if the rabbi determined that they were worthy, he would invite them to come and to follow him. And so for the next several years, that young man would follow the rabbi. He would walk with the rabbi. He would imitate the rabbi. He would do as the rabbi did and and, and live as the rabbi lived. And so that's that's where we get the idea of discipleship. And so Jesus comes along and he picks up on this concept. And he uses the idea of making disciples, of discipleship from the Greek culture. And he uses that idea to show us and to teach us what it means to follow him. He uses that that idea to show us what it means to be his disciple. But like everything in in culture, Jesus takes and he he shifts it. He changes it. You see, in in the Jewish culture and even in the Greek culture, what would happen? A disciple would go to the rabbi and say, I want to be your disciple. Jesus flips it on his head and says, we don't go to Jesus and say, I want to be your disciple. He calls us to be his disciple. He woos us. He comes after us. We don't pursue him. That's the big difference is that we actually, we we, we can't pursue him on our own. He actually pursues us. He chases after us and and he calls us. That's what he does in in Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 12. And it says, in these days he went out to the mountaintop to pray. And at night he continued in prayer to God. And then in verse 13, and, he came, and when day came, 
He called his disciples. Now, I want to stop right there because what that's showing is that there were lots of disciples. Jesus had a lot of people that were following him. But then he chose 12, and he called them apostles. And so that's going to be important in just a few minutes just to realize that there were a lot of disciples, a lot of people that were following Jesus in this moment in Luke chapter 6. But, but Jesus calls, intentionally calls the 12. Now, being a disciple is being more than a learner or a student. In fact, uh, uh, Ray Vanderlyn said it this way. He said, a disciple does not merely want to know what his master knows. He wants to do what his master does. A disciple, in other words, of Jesus is not someone who simply wants to know what Jesus taught. It's not simply someone who wants to, to, to hear the teachings of Jesus and just know them and understand them. No, a disciple is someone who wants to live as Jesus lived, who wants to do what Jesus did. And in the New Testament, the term disciple is synonymous with anyone who believed and confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. That term disciple is, is for anyone who was a follower of Jesus. The term disciple is a reference to every single follower of Jesus. But I'm afraid we, we have this misconception. This idea has crept into the church that, that being a disciple is kind of like graduate-level Christianity. And we've got this idea that being a disciple is, is like you progress to become a disciple. Like you start off as a convert... You convert to Christianity, and then you grow and you become a disciple, and then ultimately maybe you become a disciple maker. And that we've got this idea that there's this progression. It's almost like leveling up. I'm going to get to the next level, and I'm going to move from being a convert to Christianity to being a disciple of Jesus to being ultimately a disciple maker. But that's not, there's no New Testament distinction in, in regards to that. There's, no, there's nothing in the Scripture that teaches that. The, a disciple is simply a Christian according to the New Testament. A disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch, that was the first time that the church was called a Christian, that the followers of Jesus were called Christians, was in Acts chapter 11. They were called Christians by non-Christians. And why did they call them Christians? Because it means they were little Christ. Prior to that, throughout the book of Acts, you will discover that the church was called the way. And as you read through Acts, it will call the way. And it was called the way by non-believers. Why did they call them the way? Because they lived the way of Jesus. They lived like Jesus. So there's no distinction in Scripture between being a Christian and being a disciple. If you are a disciple, you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. Everyone converted to Jesus is a disciple, and everyone converted to Jesus is a Christian. But I think this misconception stems from the fact that, that we have allowed this belief that you can be a Christian without following Jesus. So I think we've got this misconception, by the, by, and the idea comes from this, this thought that, it, that, that what makes someone a Christian is anyone who believes in Jesus, and what makes someone a disciple is anyone who follows Jesus. 
And so I think we've got this idea that, that if, I will just, if you'll just simply believe, then you can be a Christian. But then once you start following, now, now I can be a disciple. But here's the challenge and the reality is that to believe in Jesus, to truly believe in Jesus requires us to follow him. If you and I truly believe in Jesus, we must follow him or we don't really believe. See, to say that you believe but not follow him removes belief of all of its meaning. Here's what I mean. I mean this, that if you say that you believe that Jesus is God's son, if you say that you believe that he died on the cross for your sin, rose from the grave three days later, ascended to heaven, that he came and he redeemed you from your sin, he saved you from hell, set you on a course towards heaven, that he he has redeemed and rescued you, and then choose not to follow him? Let me ask you, do you actually believe what you just said you believe? Do you actually believe what you're claiming to believe? You see, that lack of following... A lack of following Jesus reveals a lack of belief. If we're not following, we're not really believing. And so to be a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we believe some things intellectually about Jesus. It doesn't mean that we believe some things and have some understanding about Jesus. What it means, it means that we submit to him. It means that we we allow him to be Lord over our lives, that we, we, we submit to him and we're following after him. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that, we're, we're, that we've got it all together because none of us do. But what it means is we're pursuing. It means that we're chasing after. It means that we're following him, that we're doing what he says that he calls us to do. Anything less than that is not biblical Christianity. Anything less than following Jesus, anything less than being his disciple is not biblical Christianity. Now, a disciple, a Christian, is anyone who believes and has decided that following Jesus takes precedence over everything else in their lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. Because remember, a disciple doesn't just want to know what Jesus taught. A disciple of Jesus wants to know and do what Jesus did. And that's the reality of what it means to be a Christian. And we know that Jesus is seeking men and women who are committed to him, who are devoted to him, who are are dedicated to him, who will follow him at all costs. In fact, Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says this. Jesus said, if, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus is looking for in each and every one of us, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow. Not simply believe some intellectual things about him, but to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow. Now, before we we dive into the idea of of how we make disciples, I want us to to walk through, through some characteristics of a disciple. 
Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I'm, I'm hoping that this list will at least give us some key elements in understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to, to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And, and I hope these, these, these elements show us what commitment, devotion, submission to Jesus, dedication to Jesus looks like. And the first characteristic that I want you to know is that a disciple of Jesus Christ identifies with the person of Christ. A disciple of Jesus identifies with the person of Jesus. What does that mean? That means a disciple is someone who is passionately committed to Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who is growing closer to him, who is learning from him, which means first and foremost, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are worshipers. That's how we identify with the person of Christ. We worship him. See, when Jesus calls us to follow him, it is a call to worship him. It's a call to worship him as God. It's a call to worship him as Savior and Lord of our lives. That's the call that Jesus has on each and every one of us. So what does worship mean? The English word we have for worship really means worth-ship. That song we just sang a few minutes ago, you are worthy. That worth-ship is what worship is. It is attributing to God, it is attributing to Jesus the worth, the value, the treasure of who he is. That's what it means to worship him. That's what it means to, 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 to worship him in that way. John Piper put it this way, he said, true worship is the valuing and the treasuring of God above all things. That's what it means to be a worshiper of Jesus, church. When we value, when we treasure Jesus above all things. And that all things literally means all things. All relationships, all pursuits, all desires, all dreams. Every aspect of our lives, the pursuit of Jesus and the worth of Jesus takes precedence over everything. But here's the reality. Outward expressions of worship are meaningless without the inward devotion of worship. Like we can express worship outwardly, but if we don't have inner affections and devotion to Jesus Christ, we're not really worshiping, are we? In fact, Jesus talked about people this, like this. In Matthew 15, he said, these people, they honor me with their what? Lips, but their what? Heart is far from me. They do not worship me, or in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Now, there are two important disciplines when it comes to worship. The first is, is, is an intentional, regular gathering together of the local church to worship corporately. That's what we're doing today. We're gathering together. And in order for us to worship Jesus, these two components are, are, are necessary. That, that gathering together as, as the church where we come together in unity with one another and lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if you will lift me up, I will draw men and women to myself. This is the lifting up of Jesus corporately. We are here gathered together in order to exalt him, in order to worship him, in order to lift him up. 
And, and, and we, it's not just singing. It's through the entire gathering that we lift him up, that we worship him. And, and this is the first and, and key component. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, and you neglect getting together and gathering with the church, guess what? There's an element of your worship of Jesus that is missing. And it can't be found online. It can't be found in other places. It has to be gathered with the local church. That's why Hebrews 10 talks about the fact that let us not neglect the gathering of the local church. Why? Because something supernatural, something amazing happens when God's church gathers together. And that cannot happen if we're not gathering with the church. So the first discipline is that we have corporate worship with others. The second discipline is this. We have to be committed to, per, to, uh, to personal worship. We have to be committed not just to worship Jesus corporately, but to worship Jesus personally. What does that look like? It looks like your quiet time. It looks like spending time in prayer. It looks like reading scripture. It looks like having moments where you just are, are, are giving Jesus the worth that is due him, the value that is due him, when you're acknowledging the treasure of who he is. And so there's corporate worship, there's personal worship. And, and the whole purpose of those is just to say, you know what, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of all things. You are worthy of everything. And that personal worship is is is. It's where we, where we develop and grow in our passion to know Jesus. That's where we grow in our passion to, to understand him, to know him. It's this lifelong pursuit, this lifelong desire to get to know Jesus more and more. That's what it means to identify with the person of Christ. Like, do you really want to get to know him more and more? Are you pursuing him? And it's a lifetime pursuit. David put it this way in Psalm 42. He says, as the deer pants for, for, for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, pants for you, O oh God. Do you have that longing, that panting for Jesus? That's the way we have to examine ourselves. Like, am I longing for him in that way? Or, or is this just something I just go through? And, and we have to long for him. And we have to pursue him. And Paul put it this way in Romans, uh, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 3. He said, but whatever gain, anything that I've gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything as loss. Because of the surpassing, look at this, what does that say? Worth, the worship, the worship of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may do what? Gain Christ. You see how Paul is infusing this idea, this pursuit of Jesus, knowing Jesus, gaining Jesus, growing closer to Jesus. And then he goes on in verse in verse nine, and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. 
So what Paul is saying is, listen, my righteousness is not my own. My righteousness has been imputed upon me because of the goodness of Christ. Because of the the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, I have been given his righteousness. And it's not my own. Which shows why he pursues Jesus the way that he pursues Jesus. Because he goes on to say that I may what? Know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings becoming what? Like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, listen, I am actively, purposefully pursuing Jesus Christ. Because one, he's given me his righteousness. Two, I receive power in his Holy Spirit. Resurrection power as I know him. As I pursue him. As I chase after him. Listen, church, a lot of times our lives lack spiritual power because we're not pursuing the one who gives power to us. And so Paul pursued Jesus. He wanted to know Christ more. He wanted to pursue Jesus more. And church, we must do the same. We have to know him. And the more we know him, the more we pursue him, guess what? The more we become like him. Like if our lives are ever lacking Christ's likeness, the first place we need to go and say, all right, am I pursuing? Am I chasing after him? Am I knowing him more? Because that is where it begins. That's where Christ's likeness comes from. In fact, we are, we are predestined, Scripture teaches, that we are predestined to be transformed into the image of his Son. See, oftentimes we confuse this whole idea of predestination, but listen to what Romans eight twenty nine says. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? Be conformed into the image of his son. From the very beginning of time, God predetermined that his purpose for you and I is that we would be conformed, we would be transformed into the image of Jesus. That's the what God designed for each and every one of us. That we would become more and more and more like Jesus. Every single one of us as disciples of Christ are to identify with the person of Christ, which means he invites us to share his character. He invites us to share his righteousness. He invites us to become more and more like him. You see, the moment we accept Christ, we are forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. And we are made holy in the eyes of God, because we receive Christ's holiness. But here's what happens. As we pursue him, as we follow him, then he begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. God begins to form those in us. God begins to develop those in us. God begins to work those in us, and they work in us and then through us and outward towards those around us. And that's the way we become holy. So we're made holy, through, the, through Jesus Christ and his, and, his, and his resurrection, his redemption of us. But then we are to become holy by growing closer to him because the closer we grow to him, the more the Holy Spirit has control over us. And then we become like 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says, but as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, we only become holy. We only become like Christ when we pursue Christ, when we get to know him better, when we grow closer to him. 
So the first thing, the first piece of being a disciple, the first attribute that I want to talk, talk about today, characteristic, is identifying with the person of Christ. The second one is being obedient to the word of Christ. That's the second characteristic that I want to talk about, is just be, being obedient to the word of Christ. See, a disciple does more than show up at meetings. A disciple does more than just take notes. What does a disciple do? A disciple takes the word of God and applies it to every area of their life. They want to discover what the Word of God says and then do it. That's why James said in James chapter 1, to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because if we're hearers only, what happens? We deceive ourselves. We say, oh man, I heard this great message or I read this great thing in Scripture. And we deceive ourselves if we don't actually go and put it into practice. That's how we deceive ourselves. Oh man, I'm growing spiritually. No, you're not. Not unless you're putting it into practice. Not unless you're actually doing what God's word says. And a disciple is obedient to Christ in every area of their lives. It's not like we can pick and choose the, the things that, that Jesus taught that we want to apply. Oh, Jesus, I love that, that forgiveness piece. That dying to the cell piece? No, you can keep that one. I'm okay with loving my neighbor. I'm just not okay with loving my enemy. I'm okay with, with, uh, with this piece, but I, want, I don't like that piece. I don't like the, the taking up my cross. I'm okay with following you, but no, the cross taken up, no, you can keep that. No, that's not the way it works at all, is it? No, we are to intentionally apply every single command that Jesus gave to our lives. In fact, listen to John 14, beginning verse 23. Jesus answered him and he said, If anyone, get this, if anyone loves me, he will do what? keep my word in other words he will obey my commands and my father will love him and he will come to him and and and, and we will come to him and make our home with him and then he goes on to say whoever does not love me does not what keep my words does not obey my commands. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You see, what happens is, is the, as we obey the words of Christ, God's Spirit controls more of our lives. And as we disobey the words of Christ, we take control of more of our lives. It's that spiritual battle that Paul talked about in Romans where he does the things he doesn't want to do and, and doesn't do the things that he knows he should do. It's that battle going on. But the more that you and I obey the words of Christ, the more the Spirit of God controls us and guides us and directs us. And that's what he's talking about in John 14, that our lives are to be governed, be directed, be guided by the Word of God. God's Word is truth, and the truth of God should guide every thought, action, motivation, desire that you and I have. John 8 says, says a similar thing. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now, these are, he's saying this to his disciples. He's saying to this large crowd of people that are following him. And so what does he say to them? If you do what? Abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What did Jesus just give us? He gave us a test for discipleship. He gave us a way to examine our own hearts to determine if we're following him, determine if we're a disciple. And what is that test? Are you obeying? Are you doing what I said 
and called you to do? Are you taking my commands and putting them into practice? That's why it's imperative, church, that we become students of God's word. We need to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. Why? Because I can't obey what I don't know. In order for me to be obedient to the words of Christ, I have to know the words of Christ. And the more I know the words of Christ, the more I'm able to obey the words of Christ. The goal is that we would get this word, God's word, off of the pages of this book and into our lives. That's the goal for each and every one of us. That God's word would not just be, be black ink on white paper, but it would impact our very lives. That it would transform us because it is scripture. It is God's word that equips us and empowers us to live out the Christian life. This is where we get our instructions. This is where we learn how to obey God's word. We read it and we say, okay, I need to put that into practice. And then the Holy Spirit as we read God's word, begins to empower us to actually go and do what God's word says. That's why our minds are so important when it comes to being a disciple. See, oftentimes I think we look at, we look at, in, at, at the spiritual life and we say, oh, it's, it's about emotion or it's about, it's about feeling or it's about this, and, and, and we neglect the mind. But we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength why is that so important because it is in our mind and what we think that eventually we become see the things we think on the things we dwell on will eventually be the things that we do they will eventually guide our actions that's why paul said in philippians 4 he says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is any, is there any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Where do we get those things? Where do we find things that are pure and true and honorable and just and worthy of praise? In God's word. This is where we get it. We read God's word and we, and we meditate on it and we think about it. And then it begins to infuse our lives. And so our minds, listen to this, our minds are renewed by the word of God. And when our minds are renewed by the word of God, our lives are transformed by the word of God. That's what Paul said in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be what? transformed how are we transformed by the renewing of our mind how are our minds renewed god's word and as our minds are renewed our lives are transformed that's why a disciple is one who's obedient to the word of christ and the third idea that i want to third characteristic i want to share with you today is this that a, that a, that a disciple of jesus christ is fruitful in the work of christ they're fruitful in the work of Christ. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to bear fruit. And that fruit that we are called to bear is influence in the lives of others for the sake of Christ. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. This is where make disciples comes from. Our whole mission is, comes from this statement. He says, and Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the only command in that statement is the command to make disciples. And then the how of making disciples is baptizing them, teaching them, going. Like, that's, that's how we go and do it. But this idea that this great, comm- great commission isn't a call for some. It is a command for all. I think this is such a misconception we have in the church that the Great Commission, that's what pastors go and do. That's what missionaries go and do. That's what like supercharged Christians go and do. No, it is not a a call for some. It is the command for all of us. Every single follower of Jesus is to be a disciple maker. That's why we can't distinguish between Christian and disciple and disciple and disciple maker. They're all the same. A follower of Jesus is a disciple. A follower of Jesus is a Christian. A Christian is 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 a disciple. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. There's no distinction between any of those. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So get this, church. The moment we receive the call of Jesus to follow him is the same moment we receive the call of Jesus to go and become fishers of men. See, when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive the same call to bring others to Jesus Christ. That's the call that we receive. I mean, think about this. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Now, what good is it for fishermen to go to conferences and learn about fishing, to go to Bass Pro Shop and buy bait, to get together with their buddies and talk about fishing without actually ever fishing? It does no good, does it? And so we can talk about it on Sunday mornings. We can get in our small group and we can talk about becoming fishers of men. We can talk about making disciples. We can learn more and more and more about it. But if we don't actually go and do it, if we don't actually go and make disciples, then guess what? We're not being obedient to the call that Christ has for us. And so in the same way, you and I need to be growing in our understanding of Jesus and then teaching and coaching others to do the same. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. And it is central. Being a disciple maker is central to the calling of every single follower of Jesus. That's central to our call. It's central to our call as a church. And it's central to our call as individual followers of Christ. And the New Testament lists multiple ways of disciple making. I'm just going to rattle off a few of them. Titus 2, he, he says older women should train younger women. 2 Timothy 2, Paul trained Timothy so that he could train others who could then train others. Ephesians 6, fathers are to train their children. Hebrews says that Christians are to exhort one another to avoid sin and to stir one another up towards love and good works. 1 Peter says Christians are to use our gifts to serve others. These are all aspects and all ways that we go about making disciples. And I want you to keep in mind that the, that the possibilities are endless. How we go and make disciples are endless. I mean, these are just a few, of the, a few of the examples. But Jesus made it very clear that every Christian, every follower is a disciple. And as, does, as a disciple, we are to be disciple makers. So what does that mean? It means every Christian should be helping unbelievers, those people that are far from God, become believers by introducing them to Christ. That is discipleship. That is making disciples. 
And every Christian, on the other hand, every Christian should also be helping other believers mature more and more and more in their faith. That, too, is making disciples. It's both. It's both walking along unbelievers and introducing them to Jesus. It's also walking along other believers and helping them grow closer to Jesus. Now, according to Jesus, making disciples is not about something. It's about someone. And what I mean by that is this. Making disciples is not a program we can start at our church. Making disciples is not a class that we could introduce to you at at our church. Making disciples is none of that. Making disciples is about someone. And you know who that someone is? You. That someone is me. We are God's plan for making disciples. And there is no other plan. There is no plan B. Plan A is that you and I would go and make disciples, and plan B doesn't exist. So we can't say, well, you know, maybe they'll they'll make disciples, but, you know, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe he'll make disciples, or maybe she'll do it. No, it's God's plan for each and every one of us. You and I are God's plan, and that is the only plan. There is no other plan. So how does this work out practically for us? A couple of things. One is we have to begin to view where we live, work, and play as a platform for disciple-making. We say this all the time, but where we live, we're to carry the gospel where we live, work, and play. And so we have to begin to view the places where we live, the places where we work, the places where we play. In other words, the places we go, the, the, the life that we live, is a platform for disciple-making. So think about it. Where you live, begin with your family. Begin with your spouse. And the two of you begin to grow closer to Jesus together. If that means studying God's word together, if that means having conversations about what you're studying individually and talking about that, if that means encouraging one another to spend time in God's word, if that means praying together on a regular basis, whatever that looks like, you begin with your spouse, but you also disciple your kids. Parents are to pour in. Parents are the primary disciplers of their children. It is not Johnny's and Christie's job to disciple kids here at our church. It's our job as parents to disciple our kids, to pour into the life of our kids. Now, we as a church will come alongside. We're to partner with you. Just like me as the pastor is not my job to disciple everyone, but I can come alongside everyone and equip and help you become disciple makers. That's, that's the role. And that's the role of our church. And then so we start with our family members. And then we move to our neighbors. We love. We serve. We share with our neighbors. We, we intentionally get to know our neighbors. Listen, next Sunday is one of the most important Sundays in the Christian life. You know what next Sunday is? Halloween. Now, some of you are ready to call out blasphemy. But here's what I mean by that. Next Sunday night, your neighbors are going to come out of their houses. And they're going to walk up to your door. And they're going to ring your doorbell. And it is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus 
to get to know our neighbors. We live in a culture that is so closed off that our neighbors come into their garage, close their garage, and their kids play in their backyard. But on Halloween, they all come out. And so, listen, church, don't buy that crappy candy. Go get the good stuff. Go give out the good stuff. Make your, make your neighbors wonder, man, where do they get this money to give full-size Snickers? Like, these people are crazy. Now, I say that jokingly, but I, I am being serious in the fact that, listen, this is a great opportunity for us to serve and love and get to know our neighbors. Because once we get to know our neighbors, then guess what? We can begin to serve our neighbors. We can begin to share with our neighbors. So where you live, where you, pl- where you work. Have you ever thought about this? That God gave you the skills that you have. Whether it's in medicine or teaching or business. Not just as a tool for making money. But as a platform for making disciples. You ever thought about that? Now, I know some of you are going, well, Eric, I can't share my faith openly in the, in the workplace. And I get that. I'm not telling you to. Like, don't go into work tomorrow and, like, hold up a sign and say repent and turn or burn or anything like that. That's not what we're saying at all. But what we can do, listen, what we can do, church, is we can go into work tomorrow and begin to build relationships with people that are far from God. Instead of eating lunch alone, if you have the opportunity, take someone to lunch with you. Even if you bring your lunch, say, hey, why don't we enjoy lunch together? Why don't we get to know one another? You can begin to build relationships with people. But not only people that are far from God, but people that you know are believers. Like, get to know them. Why? So that you can spur one another on toward love and good works. That's making disciples. You're walking alongside them together. And so let's view our work as a platform for making disciples, not just making money. And the third thing is where you play. Listen, let's be honest. Most of our kids are not going to be D1 athletes. But our son's football teams, our daughter's soccer teams, that foursome you play golf with, have you ever thought about God put the desire for those hobbies, those interests in your life for a reason. And that reason is not just recreation. Like the things we enjoy doing, those hobbies that we have, are platforms for making disciples, for spreading the gospel, for sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So that's what it looks like when we, when we begin to use and maximize where we live, work, and play as platforms for making disciples. But here's what I want, you to be, I want you to keep in mind as you start this journey of, of making disciples is, is that discipleship is not a destination. It is a direction. Discipleship is not a destination. It's not like any of us ever arrive and say, you know what, I'm a disciple maker and, or I'm a, I'm a fully devoted disciple. Now I'm going to go and make disciples. No, it's a direction. So what, here's the way it works. As you grow closer to Jesus Christ, you invite others to come along with you and head in that same direction. That's really what discipleship is all about. That's what making disciples is all about, is you personally move in the direction to becoming more and more and more like Jesus 
And then as you move in the direction of Jesus with your life, you invite others to join you. God's plan for making disciples is life on life. It is one life impacting another life. It is one life rubbing shoulders with another life. It is one life encouraging another life. So here's the deal. Find two or three people in your life. Maybe they're, 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 they don't know Christ, but they're interested. Or maybe they do know Christ and they want to grow more, more and more like him and invite them into a relationship and say, let's do this together. Let's walk this out together. Let's, let's spend time with one another becoming more and more like Jesus. Or let's spend time with one another so that I can introduce you to Jesus. That is discipleship. That's what it means to make disciples. Listen, let's stop overcomplicating it. Because I think we've overcomplicated it for so long that people are like, I don't even understand what it means to make disciples. I don't even understand what it means to make discipleship. But here's what it means. Simply meeting together regularly with someone and helping them either grow closer to Jesus or get to know Jesus. That's really all it is. That's all it needs to be. And so I love, I love this promise at the end of the Great Commission. Let's go back to, to Matthew 28. In verse, I don't think verse 18 is on the, on the screen, but we're gonna, I'll, I'll read it for you. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that is key, knowing that he has all authority. And then he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to reserve all that I've commanded you. And behold, listen to this promise, I am with you always. Listen, if you don't know or you're concerned about not saying the right thing, or making a mistake and making a disciple. Listen, look at that promise again. Jesus said, I am with you, how often? Always. So if you are going and attempting to make a disciple, guess what? Jesus is going to be with you. If you don't know the answer, just say, I don't know the answer. But I will come back to you next week or tomorrow or whenever, and I will give you an answer. I'll discover it. That's how we go about it. And, and, but Jesus promises I will be with you. So here's what that means to me. That means that our mission, this mission of making disciples, is not based on who I am. It's not based on what I have the ability to do. No, our mission to make, make disciples is based on who Jesus is. Our mission is based upon what he is able, what he is able to do in and through us. Church, we have been invited to something bigger than us. We have been invited to something that's going to require supernatural strength. Yes, making disciples is going to be costly. Yes, making disciples is not going to be easy. But. Jesus has promised that he will be with us always. And so, church, it is time for us to get serious about this mission of what he's called us to do. Why? As we identify with the person of Christ and the authority of Christ, he says, I've given all, all authority has been given to me, and I'm handing that authority over to you to go and make disciples. Then as we're obedient to the word and the command of Christ, we will actually go. As we go, we will make disciples, and then we'll be fruitful and the mission, and the work of Christ, because he says, I am with you always. And so, Father, we thank you so much for this calling. 
that you've invited us to something far bigger than ourselves. You've invited us to something that, that is beyond our capabilities. And that is this call to go and to make disciples. And the reality is, Father, we can't do it on our own. We can't accomplish your mission in our own strength. And yet you never intended us to. You never invited us to go and make disciples in our own strength. No, you promised that you would be with us. You promised that it would be upon your authority that we would go out and make disciples. And so, Father, I pray for this local gathering called Freedom, that we would be intentional about following your mission, about doing what you've called us to do, that we would begin to view where we live, work, and play as platforms for making disciples, as opportunities to build relationships with others for the purpose of introducing people to Christ and for the purpose of helping people grow closer to Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never actually become a disciple of Christ, Today you've heard what that looks like. It looks like someone who is, who identifies with the person of Jesus, who is obedient to the word of Jesus, and who's fruitful in the work of Jesus. And that simply, you begin that journey with Christ by faith. Not of your own works, not of your own goodness, not of your own strength, but simply believing that Jesus Christ is sufficient for your salvation. That his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for your redemption. You simply acknowledge that yes, you are a sinner and that you need Christ to save you. And you commit to follow him, to be his disciple. And you choose this day, say yes, today I want to follow Jesus. Today I want to give my life, surrender, submit my life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I encourage you at the end of our service to tell the person you came with, the person that invited you, the person that, that may be sitting next to you, and say, you know what, today I gave my life to Jesus. If you're online, you can simply call us or text us or email our church or put it on Facebook. If you're watching on Facebook, and just say, you know what, today I gave my life to Christ. And so Lord, help us, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to do what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, church, we want to conclude our service today with, with the Lord's Supper. And this is an opportunity for us to remember. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he, he, he gathered with his disciples, and, and they had the, this meal together. And at the end of the meal, he said, he took this bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body which is broke, broken for you. Knowing that he was going to the cross. And he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the blood of a new covenant that I make with you. And so church, every time we, we, we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity for us to remember what Christ has done for us through his broken body and his shed blood. But Corinthians also teaches us that, that every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity for us to examine. 
to examine our own lives, to determine where we are spiritually. Perhaps there's, there's an area in your life that you haven't surrendered, haven't submitted to Jesus. Before taking the Lord's Supper, I encourage you and exhort you to do that, to repent of that, to, to, to submit that to Christ and His Lordship. There's a brother or sister that, that, that you've heard or you, or you have a problem with. Go to them first and make that right and then come to the table. And if you, are, if you are new to freedom and you don't know how we, we participate in the Lord's Supper, we've got four stations um, throughout the room. And we invite you to come if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus. We invite you to come to the table. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you're seeking out and you're just here, listen, we want you to, we want you to watch. We want you to, to just stay there in your seat. We don't want you to participate until you follow Jesus. This is one of those things that those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we receive the Lord's Supper, we are affirming His kingdom in our lives. We are acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and Savior over our lives. It's an affirmation. So if He's not, then don't affirm it, because you can't affirm it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to remember, to reflect, and to respond to whatever he tells you to do. You don't have to be a member of freedom to participate in the Lord's Supper here. We just simply ask that you be a follower of Christ. And so church, during this next closing worship song, at your leisure, just stand, and you can go to any one of the four stations, and let's remember what he's done for us. Let's reflect on our own lives and any areas that we need to submit to him. And let's respond by being obedient to whatever he tells us to do. Let's stand, church. Let's worship and give him the worth that is due him.